Hey, boo, get these motherfuckers and pass that jack. I see you bitches talking loud, but you ain't saying shit. Get the fuck from around here. You don't rap my shit. You ain't from my city. You don't know about this. You don't want that drama. You ain't ready for it, bitch. Throw it up. Yeah, throw it up. Throw it up. Meeting us at the intersection. I'm your host, Malika Salam. You've got to say the whole thing every time, like a tribe called Quest and a pimp named Slipback. And I am joined by none other than the lady herself, a name that you'll never forget, a voice that you'll never forget. So many things. So listen, because I'm going to, right, you'll be all embarrassed because I would just gush. I would just go on and on and on and just faint and swoon because, oh my gosh, I love me some Ladia. Like, for a long time though, because... I've known who you were for a long time because right. we have mutual friends. Right. Going back to like the ice, it's so cool. What days yeah, with Tars love? Like, so yeah. yes. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good one. Yes. Don't so, um, <laughs> so, yes. Welcome, Ladina. Hey, thank you so for having me. I love her. I love her so much. <laughs> so, um, I'm so glad that you can join me, and we'll be we'll be doing some heavy lifting. We'll be doing some heavy lifting, um, but you know, it's this is one of those things. Like I just felt like I knew you forever, and even though like I was on the periphery, like we have a lot of people in common. Right. We know a lot of the same people, and whenever you would come up in in you know somebody's, it's so funny. I think. Allura posted uh, on IG the other day about when she sees people like trying to kill her friends. So <laughs> I was trying not to be that person. I was like, well, she knows Nikki and she knows Allura and she knows Rati and I know her because of the magazine. <laughs> and so maybe if I send her a friend request, it won't be so, so weird because we have all of these people right. coming. But the reality is that folks, you know, will go through your timeline and be like, oh, your friends all seem cool. Friend request, friend request, friend request. Because they're creeps. <laughs> so much so. I feel like things on social media, though, are starting to go back to how they were in the beginning. You remember in the beginning, you didn't accept people's friend requests exactly. unless you knew yes. who they were. Yeah. You're like, who are you? Who sent you? <laughs> Let me go through your pictures and see if you got any pictures with anybody that I know, mm -hmm. how many friends we have in common. None. No. Right. Right, so one, if we don't have any friends in common, we can't be friends on social no. media. Um, two, if we have friends in common, but I haven't seen them respond to you. Right. Y'all ain't in any pictures together. I'm like, y'all really know them. We got just saying. Right. You're a creeper. Yes. So I feel like that's where social media. That's where my social media is right now. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's cool. We got 150 friends in common that don't ever talk to you. Who sent you? <laughs> right. Everybody I don't. Mean. I don't. But I don't believe you or your people. Like, that's where we are. So, yes, it took me a long time. And then when, like, we finally connected, I want to say it was maybe over planner stickers. It probably was over something, planner society, something, like, real dorky and nerdy. Like, it was super. Yay! Yes, it was super, super nerdy. And, um, yeah, and then just ever since then, it's just been right. like, hey, girl, how are you doing? So, um, yeah, super glad that that I could be here in Memphis. Right. So this is my end of the year wrap up. My grandparents are here, so I come and visit them because I don't make it back through the holidays and everything. I won't be back until February. So I try to, you know, make one last round before the year ends and just check in with everybody and see how everybody's doing. Right. 
the holidays keep going and sometimes that can be super overwhelming, right? With like right. family and visitors and all of that. So I just kind of, I'm like, let me get in ahead of the rush and get my time in and get a chance to right. see everybody. So this is um, definitely good for me just to be able to be in Memphis because this is always home for me. Right, right, right. right. So how long have you been back in Memphis? I have been back, Jesus, I'm back October 2019, 14, but I guess I officially moved back at the beginning of 2015. Okay. So we're looking at like two years. Okay. Is that two years? I've been home right at like two, two three years. So okay. it's been a reverse culture shock because mm -hmm. I was gone for a decade, mm -hmm. like right at 10 years. So to be back home, everything and nothing changed. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm missing the East Coast. Oh, greatly. Right. I'm missing it. So, but home is home. Like I said, I was gonna be home. Yeah, it's Memphis. So, yeah. It's um, it's interesting because we were riding around today, and I think I was just so pretty much throughout the year I come like three, four times a year. So kind of right. quarterly I come, and um, I was just here this summer, but just riding around from being here in August to now, mm -hmm. so many things have changed. Right. So I'm like. Oh, when did they tear that down? When did they put that up? That used to be a, it's just so, it's so weird. And then mm -hmm. of course, the 50th anniversary, right. right, MLK 50 is coming up. And I'm, it's, that's, that's very weird for me because it's the commemoration of the assassination. It's like, we don't really commemorate that. Like, they're, like we celebrate birthdays, mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh, this is the 50th anniversary or this is the 50th birthday, but it's like we're celebrating the 50th year of MLK coming for the, for the sanitation strike and being assassinated. And it's like, that's such a part of our culture that there's this big 50 year celebration. And is it really any different, right? Because he came for the sanitation workers and now we have fight for 15 going on. Right. Because 50 years later, people here are still not being paid a living wage. wage. And then do we commemorate assassinations? I don't like, know that we commemorate any other assassinations. And I, it's, it's like I'm juxtaposed in my emotions because it's just like, okay, yes, it's been 50 years, but do we commemorate? Or do we like shake tables and make no, like, like, no, there's concert series and like I've seen, like there has been a bunch of events, right, leading up to next right. year and there have been literal concert series and I'm just like, I get it and I get that I think part of part of our resilience as people of color, as black people in America specifically, mm -hmm. because of our history with this country, that we have had to find creative ways to get through that process, right? <sighs> Singing, dancing, um, creating family when right. our families were being ripped apart, creating traditions around family and marriage when we weren't allowed to do those things. So I get that that's part of our culture. And still, I'm like, but he was assassinated. Like, let's be and real clear like, back to about it. that. He died, like, right, right, like, right, right around the corner. Right. Like, this man was killed. Yeah. And we're having this big 50th celebration about the day that he was assassinated. Yeah. You know, conspiracy theories be damned or whatever, but were we real clear on one thing? Right. He ceased to exist. Today. Uh, yeah. And somebody killed him. And it happened in Memphis. And we're having this big brouhaha. Yeah. And this big, you know, the reverie behind just like with my emotions are juxtaposed with it. And I just like, you know, as much as you want to be active and be a part, just like this seems, you know, like a, it's, it's all in balance. Yeah. And it's, it's all just like, uh, 
that's imbalance is a really good word and, and yeah it's a really good word so driving down Union um, I was explaining to Sam some of the history of Memphis and we get right there to um, Southwest and there's a huge billboard mm -hmm. uh, the I am still a, the I'm still a man I am still a man right because that was you know the rally cry for the sanitation strike was I'm a man right because they weren't being paid you know fairly equally and they were in these jobs and and people people forget that like being a sanitation worker in that time was super dangerous it was yeah like, it like people were losing their lives so that was the whole thing about that rallying cry so they have the I'm still a man billboard and it's directly across the street from Nathan. Bedford Forest Park, yeah. which, um, so Nathan Bedford Forest uh, was a founding father of the Ku Klux Klan and Brian Wizard yeah. in a city that's like 90% black. There's a statue to him in a park, a park that is right, that is like right in the center of um, a university district because UT is over there mm -hmm. and the biomed founding father of the Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard in the middle of a park, in the middle of the Biomed District, which is really the tide changer for Memphis, because Memphis has right. been very much about being a distribution center and about skilled labor and in trying and attempting to be current and relevant. Um, I would say they are really trying to push push uh, the Biomed community. Mm -hmm. So they, you know. Southwest has this huge nursing school. Mm -hmm. um, I went to Southwest. That's where I met Tars. Right, that's right, where right. we started the magazine. So, um, it, I, you know, I've seen those developments, and yet, you know, just right there in the center of it is this huge statue and this huge piece of history. And the history being that um, Memphis is a city divided and has been a city divided forever. And, and that hasn't changed because you have the billboard and then you have the statue and it's like when it's all said and done this is the history right so um, and there's like the operation blue crush eye in the sky is there and, and a police officer is being like monitored or like uh, what do they call it um, Stake out whatever is, is police there like almost twenty four hours a Yeah, like we drove by and we were like, so there's just police, police just guarding there. Just the guarding statue. Sam, how did you feel about? I don't even want to talk about it. That like irritates me so much to even see that there and the fact that they could be doing so many other things, but watching a statue just angers me. I don't even want to drive by anymore. Right. So we're, so we're, you know, driving and then she sees Operation Blue Crush and she's like, what is Operation Blue Crush? Mm. I was like, oh, well that's their initiative to reduce crime. And she was like, so, but there's a police car parked in the park. Watch the section. Right. For the statue. Yeah. But they trying to reduce, like, how do those? So. And Nick would be damned if you want to go to the park. No. Right. And nobody even goes to that park. Let's, let's keep it 100. <laughs> nobody goes to that park. Nobody has picnics in that park. The little white kids don't go to that park. You ain't gonna see the little Pakistani kids like jogging around that park. Like nobody goes to that park. It's not a thing. The medical students who go to school right there they do not go. hang out in that park. So there's really no need for them to have a presence except for of course the statue has been vandalized. Again, in a city that's 90% black folks, 
they like to say 65, 67% black. I mean, that's, you know, okay, but they say, don't get my eyes switching. Hold on. But we're majority black and we're a white ran. It's just, I mean, and that's the, that's very much the Trump, you know, political system. So, of course, I'm a U of M alumni and I had, um, the privilege of taking David Matlock's class. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Mr. Matlock is real serious about his facts. He's an orange, orange man. He's, he's an orange man vet. Mm -hmm. And he's like, let me tell you how a TIE is. Right. And so um, I love that class. One of my favorite classes in my entire career at University of Memphis. And he explained the crump machine and how the crump machine functioned and mm -hmm. how they were able. So Memphis should have had the type of yes. Mm -hmm. I know you're going um, like Atlanta, the boom. So like, everybody wants like, why do people leave Memphis and go, go to Atlanta? Atlanta and have to go to Atlanta and get put on. Because we were supposed to be the next Memphis, at, right at the cusp of when the, the assassination. Right. So Memphis is um, Memphis is not a true metropolitan, but it has all of the characteristics yes. of a metropolitan. Mm -hmm. And so it was supposed to be like Atlanta. But because the crump machine had been in place for, you know, decades and decades, like literally, so when Memphis got his first black mayor, mm -hmm. which everybody loved until they didn't love him, because he went off just a little bit at the end, he might have went over just a little bit over the edge. Yeah, it's like, but, um, but, but people who grew up in Memphis, who were like born and raised in Memphis, yes. and who went to Memphis City Schools, remember him as a superintendent, and they were like, as a superintendent, he kept things on lock, yes. and you know, we graduated, and, and like the graduation rates were high, yes. people were getting scholarship money, so Dr. Harrington had a history, and mm -hmm. he was the first black mayor of Memphis, and then he was the black mayor of Memphis for forever. Like, 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 he just basically ran unopposed, like nobody even cared right. until he was like, get out of my damn office. Right. And then people were like, hey, <laughs> hey bro, took a little bit too far, right? Took a little too far in time. So, but I mean, it was a big thing because for so long, it wasn't just that it was white people who were being elected, mm -hmm. it was people who were part of the original crump machine. Yes. So all of his captains and lieutenants mm -hmm. and whatever, like as a person died off, they just replaced it with somebody yes. else in that machine. And you can tell, you can tell when you are in Memphis and you look at the architecture. And so these were things that I didn't know mm -hmm. until Mr. Matlock pointed them out. And right. he was like, so if you look at the architecture and you will see that they will preserve the facade of a building that they've never really updated or been allowed to update. And mm -hmm. so it's been a big deal when you know, they started turning things over downtown, you know, AutoZone Park and FedEx Forum, because those were not things that were really allowed to happen here. They did a great job of um, suppressing people of color, of, you know, and women, right? right? Like keeping them out of positions of power so that no real effective change could take place. And even when they started to um, turn over all of the projects, Right, we're gonna do this right. median housing, mm -hmm. and so, but there was nothing in place. There was no, you know, infrastructure in place. So you take people who've been in these projects for generations, and you say, well, now we're gonna move you to median housing, and people who are used to having, you know, thirty-six dollar rent, utilities, everything included, and that's what they've been doing, right. are now told, well, you have to pay X amount of dollars, and you've got to do X amount of things. But they didn't give them any type of 
skill training. Right. They didn't do anything. But this was all part of, you know, changing the landscape. A change of face. Right. So that we can bring these people in so that we can start saying, hey, we're going to be a biomed district. And the cost of living here is, you know, two to three times less than it is in your other major cities. So come to Memphis. So they started recruiting people. <laughs> yeah. So the history of Memphis is very interesting. And I tell people this is a real, real interesting city. Um, I think we're still stuck two years after Dr. King got assassinated. I think we're still stuck there. Um, still a girl boys club. It's still very much black, white, the have and have nots. It's very, it's very, the, the, the line is very, it's very permanent. It's very, uh, it's, you can see it. It's in your face. It's, it's there. It's like, right. there's no missing it. Yeah. And if, like you said, you're born and raised in Memphis, you get it. It's, it's yeah. And it's just one of those things that you just roll through and you accept almost. Yeah. That's, um, I think that was the most interesting thing to me coming from, so I was born and raised in California, and then I lived in D.C. for a year, and coming from San Diego, which is very kind of laid back, like I grew up between San Diego and the Valley, so you know, very laid back, completely different, I moved to D.C. like on some rebellious, like, I don't need anybody, I'm wrong, I got this, and like D.C., if you are not ready for D.C., it will chew you up and spit you out, and I had the clear vision, like, listen, you ain't gonna make it. Cause like either you're gonna have to become like these people which you have no training for, like right. no foundation, or you're going to become a victim of one of these people. So my uncle was um, in Memphis. Okay. He had played football for the University of Memphis and back when it was Memphis State. Right. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna date myself, but we, you know, black and crack. I'll just say that. Uh, so my grandparents were here and I was like, hey, can I come to Memphis? Okay. I can't do DC. And so I moved to Memphis. Um, and the culture shock was very different from D.C. in that it was, you know, it was just a lot slower. But it wasn't the same type of slow as, like, San Diego, the Valley. Mm -hmm. And it took me a minute to pick up on it. Okay. So when I moved here, I had two white friends. Because I grew up in predominantly white neighborhoods, going to predominantly white schools. That was kind of natural to me. So that's... You know, I've met people at work and the people at work who listen to the same music I listened to and who did the same things that I did. Like, oh, we go to coffee shops and we, you know, listen to alternative music. Those were my people. Okay. But whenever we would go somewhere, it was very clear, like, either who brought the black girl or whose white people are these. Like, who, like, like are these, these belong to you? Right. Like, we're just checking. Right. We're just checking because. I guess, and I'm not saying it's like it's a hierarchy or whatever, but 
if I think of who Lydia Joyce is, it's like black girl, woman, Christian heterosexual, sorority girl, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then like you add, now HIV positive. It's just like the intersections. And it's just like all these uncommon intersections and these threads of things that normally wouldn't have any commonality into right. it. Now when you drop HIV, it just like makes all that like right. come together into whatever. It's like throw it up in the air and see what falls down kind right. of situation. And that's what we have. Right. So that's those are my intersections. Yeah. As crazy and, and as uncommon or not talked about. That, that part. <laughs> that part. Because if we do the numbers, it's not that uncommon. No. Um, that was one of the things that I found out living in D.C. because at that time, this was 95, mm -hmm. and at that time, the numbers in D.C. were off mm -hmm. the charts, um, especially for girls and young women, like 15 to 24, mm -hmm. like they were the most reported cases of AIDS and HIV at that time. Um, and, and, you know, people were like, how is this happening? Like, because... This was still, you know, the mid '90s, mm -hmm. and it was still at that time the gay disease. Right. So right. this is when we, when we really first started seeing women mm -hmm. having it at these alarming rates, and black women specifically. Right. So yeah, that's that's one of those things where it's like, no, it's not uncommon. It's just we don't not talk about talked it. about. Because after men who sleep with men, black women have been the second largest groups who have been infected and affected by HIV AIDS since 2004. So we're looking at 13 years. But media, social media, marketing messages that surround the wrap it up to HIV AIDS messaging don't target or don't speak to a place where black women may sit. It's very men who sleep with men, and although black men who sleep with men are very high, they kind of been on the it's like decline, like they kind of plateaued. For lack of better words, I mean, black men are very high than this black woman, but it's always been a messaging from someone who's very white, very gay, and very male. And it ain't been that for quite some time. So, <laughs> you know, one of my intersections is queer. Mm -hmm. And um, I can say from my experiences, being out, being not out, being in between, all of that is very still. And I live in one of the gayest places in the United States. I'm like, sure. I'm, in, I'm in St. Pete. Like, it's, you know, huge 20,000 mm -hmm. people come down for pride. Right. And, I, and then the city that I live in, in St. Pete, is, you know, a smaller community um, that they refer to as Gayport. So, like, it's, it's like gay, 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 gay. And it's still very white, mm -hmm. male-centered. And I would even say white, male cisgender because even the gay white males who are there still very much identify so you know people tend to try to put a face on queerness right so right. like mm -hmm. you're all oh, they're flamboyant they're this they're that they're you know the drag queens the, and no like these are your everyday heterosexual mm -hmm. identify as you know the sex the gender that they were born in white cisgender males mm -hmm. like and I can say whenever we go to an event, whenever that is still who drives the focus. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to any talks around HIV AIDS, that is still the primary focus. 
We're talking about the intersections mm -hmm. and how the messaging for HIV and AIDS is still very much white, male, cisgender. Even when we're talking about LGBTQI, that tends to be you know where the messaging goes. So now you find yourself at this intersection of being diagnosed HIV positive. Take take us back to that moment. To that moment. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all wanna go there? Lord of mercy. No, what was that? September 29th of last year, so 2016. Um, first of all, we in Mayberry. I call Memphis Mayberry because it's very much Mayberry. They called me on the phone. They told me off the phone. They didn't, yeah, I didn't get called in. And I was hoping I got called in so I could take my mom with me so she could answer, ask any questions that she may have. Because they told me my test came back inconclusive the week before. And because I'm a woman of faith, I'm like, I'm not putting, no, we're not even going to speak, we're not going to give life, speak, whatever, to that, what you say. You just need some more blood to do another, you know, another test and think of the lab next up. Talk to mom, we laughed about it. We're like, oh, this is really interesting, you know. Right. This, this is a real different type of test right here, but no, nah, that's not the report that we don't believe. We keep it moving. So um, I took the test that on Monday. I think that was the 16th, no, it was the week of 29th. Um, they forgot they did the test the week before, and my patient portal was uploaded. And it didn't, they said they did the test like three times. They only, I guess, in hindsight, between 2020, we're trying to find a way to soften the blow. So my patient portal was uploaded Tuesday after I took the second test. It said HIV positive. It didn't say the three different tests of positive, negative, and inconclusive. So I was just like, what are we doing? You know, what's good? Okay. And I finally got the test results that Thursday from the second test. And she was just like, Miss Lily, you are indeed HIV positive. You come pick up your results tomorrow. Yeah. And she was like, they'll be waiting for you at the reception set. Reception sets. And that was the end of the conversation. It's 5 o'clock traffic. I'm on East Parkway and Poplar. My mom's sitting in the car with me. I really want to have a whole, like, I just want to, <laughs> like scream, cuss, fuss, fight, but I can't because I keep my composure because I'm in the car with my mom. And this nurse really did just call me on the phone and tell me this. I said, okay, great. Um, I get home, the first words out of my mouth are, who's married? Who married someone who's HIV positive? Because that's all I can think about. Right. Because at that moment, you think about every stigma, every um, stereotype, every myth, every nasty, vile thing that someone has ever said, especially with social media and because I've always kind of worked with this community kind of connected disconnected I've been you know the walks the rallies things like that you hear oh, and it's just like oh damn I'm now one of those people that you talk so bad about right so it's like okay and I went the next morning Friday um I bet my best friend with me, went with me and my results were handed to me in a white piece with a white envelope my name written in blue and hands to me said have a good day so at that point, you know, stuff don't move until black girls get angry. Yeah. So I cussed and I fussed and I cleared that whole office out. You know, I'm five nine. It don't take much for me to climb over a desk. I put my knee up on the desk and I started to climb over to put my hands on the receptionist who handed me that piece of paper. And then at that time, that's when medical directors and nurse practitioners and that's when they want to come to the back from the back and say, "Oh, try to push me and usher me into the room." to have this necessary discussion that you should have had with me when I came to pick up the results. So my finding out of my status was not without 
like this level of drama. Right. I'm like, you know, and then being in Memphis, I was always thinking, would you treat a white person this way? You know, you saw me as this little black girl who is now HIV positive, and it's just like, because you don't know how to deal with it as a medical professional, you see me, you start to think and treat me as if I'm a miscreant because you think that who we deem as miscreants get infected right. this way. So it's like you handle me that way. So that's how I found out. Girl, like I... So I have worked with medical professionals. I've trained medical professionals. Mm -hmm. um, and the training that I did, uh, I trained them on a variety of things. And one of the trainings that I did, one of the roles that I did, was uh, teaching them how to deliver that news and how to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that that is not what, I'm not going to say the name of the school that I work for, right, right, right. but I'm going to say that there are a lot of medical professionals. I Because I my primary care was here, my children's pediatrician was here. Mm -hmm. So I've had my, both of my children, my last two were born here. Okay. So I've had enough experience with Memphis in the 19, almost 20 years that I lived here with medical professionals to know Damn. that that's not how it's mm -hmm. supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of these people who go to medical, who are in the medical profession here did not necessarily go to school somewhere else and come here. Mm -hmm. They are a part of this community right. and they were trained here in this community. Mm -hmm. I've seen some of those people on the job after I've trained them. Mm -hmm. So I know for a fact that that they get the training and then they go into the field and they don't apply it. Right. So the first thing, so the first thing is like just emotionally, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So I'm listening to you say, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, that's, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. That's not how you're supposed to do that. Not, not even as a medical professional, as a human being, right. that is not how you do that. That is not how you deliver that type of news. That is a conversation. That is something that you call somebody into the office right. and say, listen, let, let's talk mm -hmm. because what I'm going to tell you next, you're probably going to need some support for right. and let me make sure that you have those resources and that you have a place to sit for a minute while you take this in. Like, you, you just don't do it like that. So the emotional part of that, I'm like, like, how did that happen? What happened there? Like, there's clearly a huge, a like huge disconnect. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, you went to live this about if it was cancer cells, mm -hmm. if it was, you know, irregular heartbeat or something wrong with your heart, you know, brain, you know, anything. Right. You would not have delivered that information in that way. Right. But because it is HIV. You, and then it's to me, black girl, single, no children. Oh, you know, you must be hoeing or you must be shooting up drugs. Right. So take it and be great and figure it out. And have I'm a nice here. and have a nice day. Girl, because that's what have a nice day. And have a nice day. Wow. So okay, so obviously one of one of the disconnects is that there was not 
a protocol in place. Nah. Um, the other disconnect, obviously, is in how we deal with black women when it comes to medical stuff in general. Because I've definitely been on the receiving end of talking to a doctor and getting the, oh, well, this is what's going on with you, and this is what's going on with you because you're fat. So one of my intersections is being fat. Mm -hmm. I have PCOS. It's not that I don't exercise, it's not that I don't eat well, it's that my body has a hard time getting rid of the weight because my hormones are out of the way. And so, you know, they're like, well, take the medicine. And I'm like, I don't want to take the medicine because when I take the medicine, I have all of these side effects. So mm -hmm. what are my other options? Well, you don't have any other options. Take the medicine, eat the right foods, exercise. Well, I'm eating the right foods and I'm exercising, but I'm not taking this medicine. And if eating the right foods and exercising is the thing that we're always told is going to make things change, then clearly you need to be telling me, you know, what what to do, how to do that, how to implement that. And so anytime that I would have to go into the doctor with any type of issue, it would be, oh, well, it's because you're fat. <laughs> you know, like, right. if you weren't fat, you wouldn't be having that issue. And I'm like, but see, the thing is, I'm fat because I have this other issue. Mm -hmm. And like that other issue is not been properly addressed and so I literally had to do the research and learn how to advocate for myself yeah because again they saw me and much like you said they saw you and it was like oh well black girl so black girl must be doing xyz and therefore there's no need to even have this conversation because you engage in risky behavior the whole risky behavior mm -hmm. type situation it's just like so having sex you know with someone I've known for like over a decade was risky behavior. Someone mm -hmm. I trusted, you know, was risky behavior. You know, I, we've all done risky behavior. This wasn't a result of risk. You know, it's just like, mm -hmm. if you want risky, I can tell we can have stories right. about risky. This ain't that. Right. So, why even bring it up? Because that's not going to help me in my totality of making sure I'm healthy and, and, and on my way to being healed from this. In totality, that's not going to help me. So, the behavior part of it comes in because, again, black girl. Oh. Right. That's it right there. You're a black girl. Right. Y'all don't get married. Y'all just whore. Y'all have kids. Right. And so this is your punishment. This is what happens as a result of you doing that. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? This is my judgment. And so my judgment says that's what you get. Really? Yeah. Basically. So, um, so now you, you've gotten the news mm -hmm. and where do you go from there? Because it's a, it's a jump from getting that to being here a year later and positively dealing. Right. So what was, I guess, the catalyst? Like, what was the moment? How did you move from being HIV positive mm -hmm. and not letting that diagnosis become who you were? It was in search of trying to find something or someone who looked like me. Because the first thing I Googled like that next night, the, the night that we came home from the doctor that Friday, was I'm HIV positive, now what? But everything again I pulled up was very white, very male, and very gay. And because I'm like, this don't look like the statistics and this doesn't look like what they say, something is off. Mm -hmm. Like something is clearly off. Where are the sisters who were talking about this? Where, where are they? You know. I need their blog, I need their prayer, I need their meditation. I, what, what do they do to cope? Right. Where they at? 
and I can't put, you know, in search of on Facebook posts like in search of sister talking about her HIV right. socks. The recommendations. Right. The girl. I can't do that on Facebook at this point. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So it was like I was told spiritually, God was like, you have to become the person that you're looking for. And I'm like, oh, but I act, you couldn't send me a text message, an email, like you couldn't get a spiritual download to like to advocate better. If, you know, I need you to go advocate for this type of people. Okay, gotcha. I'm on it. You know, right. you, I had to be personally affected and infected with this. And so I took that and said, okay, I'm going to sit with this for a year. Um, I knew something, I was going to do something the following year on September 29th. I was just, I didn't know what. I was like, just let me sit with it because I didn't tell a lot of people. For fear, for I didn't know how he was gonna handle me because I had heard the comments, I have seen people. You know, we say some damning things within the black community when it gets to the point where we become willfully ignorant about certain things. We say some damning stuff. And it's just like I never was that person that didn't think it could happen, but you know, I'm thinking I'm doing my due diligence, but you you be like, damn. But tell me how you really feel. So because of that, I was just like, let me tell my mom, let me tell those who are closely affected to me. Because at the time I was working on two businesses, I'm like, you know, I'm gripping and running. I'm like, right. all right, you about to, you know, this empire, let me hit now while I'm single, don't having kids, you know, let me do this now so I can not have a life now so I can live my life, you know, later how I want to. And it's just like, okay, um, what do I do? Who do I turn to? Who can I call? I have this small support group. I don't even know if they fully understand. I don't know what this looks like. You know, when you get HIV, you be like, I know it's not Philadelphia. Right. But I don't want to die. So what does what does this look like? Right. And you just find yourself there, just like, man, who's talking about this? Who's help, you know, help me navigate through this thing? Because there's only so much prayer. And meditation and, and, and talk to your homegirls, it's only so much. Right. Because we get things when we have talks with each other. It's like, who am I talking to about this? Yeah. Because, I mean, what's, what was really out there for us? Hydea Broadbent and the right. one episode of A Different um, World. Mm-hmm. Like, and then it's um, Ray Thornton Lewis, which she's kind of aged, so she's over 50 with AIDS. Right. Idea was born. I'm not negating because I hate myself. Because even HIV, there's a good HIV and a bad HIV. And it's that respectability politics that right. I like, care for. But you know, Idea was born with it. Ray Allen, uh, Ray Lewis, she's older. Right. So it's just like you find yourself being the semi millennial. You know, I think, you know, whatever. You know, the semi millennial, you're, you're, you're moving and shaking. You're in the prime where most ladies and most women like us are doing things to put the foundation. It's just like, well, who's speaking from this scene? Right. right. When you tell me that the the, the numbers are for what, 25 to 45, 50? Okay, that's my peer group. Right. That's my little sisters, that's my sisters, and that's my auntie. Right. Like, we ain't talking, where they at? Right. So that's when I was like, you know what, I can't, you know. So I started writing. And I wrote in a journal, not every day, but I just wrote. And I knew I would release a blog eventually just to kind of chronicle because you don't know what it looks like. Right. And that's really the piece. 
I think. So, I'm always perplexed at how there are new crackheads. Just go with me on this. Like, so we grew up in a time where there was dare, and there was, you know, just say no to drugs, and there were all of these uh, partnership for drug-free America commercials, mm -hmm. right? This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Um, right. We grew up with New Jack City. We grew mm -hmm. up with Jungle Fit. Like, we grew up with all of these visuals of crackheads. Mm -hmm. Nothing about it was sexy. Nothing about it was alluring. This wasn't weed where it's your cool partner and they just on the porch chilling, smoking right. weed. This wasn't coke where people are amped up getting stuff done and trading stops. Like, we didn't have those type of pictures. Like, yeah. crack is bad. It ain't never been good. No, Nobody has ever. There's no such thing as a sexy crackhead. We are all clear on that. And yet, in 2017, it's still people smoking crack. Like, you can, you still will run across people and you be like, ah. In Memphis, they come. In Memphis, they be like, you know so-and-so is coming right now. You gotta watch them around your stuff because you, they out there. But it's 2017. So, in theory, mm -hmm. because of this age that we grew up in, of, you know, Partnership for Drug-Free America and just say no, crackheads should be extinct. Like, like that should have been a dying breed of people. Like, mm -hmm. there should be no new crackheads being produced because there was all this messaging that let us know how bad it is, right? Mm -hmm. And yet, it still persists. So what does that say when we have zero messaging and imaging mm -hmm. of people who look like us? We don't know what it looks like. We have no idea what it looks like. And what we have seen are Philadelphia. What we have seen are the people who have, um, who have succumbed. What we have seen are you know, the, the males who were engaged in male and male sex and right. the whites. And right, so we've seen that. Like, we've even seen Sylvester, right? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there are all the people that we don't talk about that died of something mysterious. <laughs> we ain't gonna say no name, but we all know who they are. Right. We talking about them in the family. But that's all the yeah, like that's a whole other thing. Four or five, like, then, right, but we don't... Because it was cancer. It was, it was cancer for a long time, and we don't talk about it, and mm -hmm. we still don't talk about it, and we don't put a face on it. And so, when you see the messaging that you can live with this, and that you can have this, and that you can be healthy, and that you can be productive, none of that reflects what we look like. Like, none of that is our reality. So it's definitely important that there is a face, and that there is a voice, and that we are having these conversations. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot for any one person to take on. So what does support look like for you? Support is very demonstrative for me right now. Like, because I had to go on the other day. I was like, you know, you come to my house and y'all ever ask me how I'm doing? And she sat there and she was like, oh. I, like, I need you to be real demonstrative with your love video right now. Like, not saying I need you to go over and beyond, mm -hmm. but I need to see you. Like, you know, I, it's, it's very, it's very present, very in your face. It's very... Hey, it's like, you know how I'm the strong friend, so I'm always the one that's calling and checking up and this and the third. And one of my, a set of my friends said, well, Dick, you always seem like you have it together. And I was just like, but that should negate you picking up a damn phone and saying, hey, I haven't heard your voice. How are you? So it's very that right now. Like that was supporting me like, 
I don't care about you retweeting, you know, be doing what like a page or whatever. But when I call on you, I need you there. Right. Because In real time. Because right now this has allowed me or given me another level of vulnerability that I'm not accustomed to. Because when you're strong and you move and you shake and you do understand thirty, you're independent. You know, or you're the people that hold people together. You're the person. You're everybody's person. Mm-hmm. You know, so now I have to be the person that needs a person. So because I can't be a me to me, I need to pull everything out of you as a friend mm-hmm. that I can get that will feed or support me at this time. So it is real demonstrative. Like I need to be able to touch you, feel you, hear you consistently now. And I hear that because that's been a conversation for me that has it's been very prevalent recently. I'm I'm a strong friend. Mm-hmm. I'm a strong friend, and so I've got it together, and it's gonna be all right. And it's hard for other people when the strong friend isn't strong, and the strong friend is breaking down mm-hmm. and like wall sliding and like. Like, but we don't, like, we, but like, you, right, like, you, you the one, so now what do we do? But it's very, part of the messaging has to be that it's okay not to be strong, right? Right. Because Mm -hmm. when they show us we're, we're strong and we're resilient and we can do anything. And sometimes you just gotta not be strong. Sometimes you got to be able to be vulnerable, to be able to fall all the way apart and not have things figured out and not have it together. Right. I love it. Look, uh, <laughs> I'm going to take that. I, I need, you know what I'm saying? I had this one like, no, I need, I need. No, I, no, I don't, I need. Right. And, you, and I had, and I got something that was like, either you get it or you don't. And we either be friends or we can't. And that was like my line of demarcation. It's just like, get it, you down. You're right, get love. Love me. Right. Right. But right now, you gotta love you. You gotta make you the priority. Radical self care was my word for 2017. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's a phrase, but radical self care. And radical self care meant that I had to put Dia before any and everybody. And even in this process, I've been called selfish. I've been like, oh, you know. No, I don't think you understand. Like, if I don't take care of me mentally and emotionally, I like, I don't want to die. Like, I don't think people understand. Man. Like, HIV, if it's not taken care of, unfortunately, can lead to death. Right. If you don't take care of yourself. Right. If I don't have those timers on my phone telling me every single day to take my medicine at a particular time. Right. If I don't take care of myself mentally right. and emotionally, to the point that I don't want to take meds and I just waste away. It, I mean, I know we don't have the Philadelphia's and that stuff like that just showing right now, but HIV untreated becomes AIDS and that you can die of AIDS complicated, you know? Right. I don't want to die. Because it affects your immune system. Period. And so you can't, you don't even have anything to fight with. No. And I think, so has it been your experience in talking about it? I only know because I'm relative to people who do the work. Mm-hmm. I'm relative to the community. And so I think I've had that benefit of knowing what most people don't know and having conversations that most people don't have. Right. Is it your experience that people still don't know? Like, I have the perception that people still don't really know 
what HIV and AIDS are. And that they're and that they're two different things. They don't understand the two different things. They think it's a package deal. And then, um, I don't think they understand the complications because um, I was speaking to someone and they didn't realize that HIV was the package. You know, especially here in Memphis, they call it the package. Right. Oh, they got the package. They got the package. They didn't know that the package was HIV and or AIDS. Yeah. And what that meant. Right. Like, it's called human immunodeficiency virus. Like, right. It, 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 it fights the stuff that's supposed to fight the stuff. And it's a virus. Keeps you away. Right. Right. It's a virus. It's not a bacteria. So, therefore, there's not a shot, a pill, or anything right. to make it go away. At the very basics of it. You know, and I don't think we talk about Like, it's not even being taught in schools. Right. So, this, I, don't, I don't know that this state, I don't think Tennessee still has a comprehensive sex ed program. We don't do that. Right. So one of my little sisters, you know, she's 23. She graduated from Whitehaven. I like I did like I think like 12, 14 years later, and she was like, no, it was not sex ed. You go. She's on a school campus, and because I talked, had these conversations with her, she'll go and talk to other young ladies, and it is like, oh, I didn't realize I can get certain things through oral sex. It's just like. Well, you know, I've had my best friend mother tell me, oh, you need to start bleaching behind her. And it's just like, first of all, black folks, bleach don't kill everything. <laughs> Second of all, yeah. it could We're going to edit that part <laughs> out because you ain't going to get me cussed out on my grandmother. <laughs> bleach kill everything. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but, you know, to the point that you want to wipe up behind me with bleach. Like, if you could get it that easily. We don't have that. Or I'd be quarantined. Right. So I don't think people understand what it is, the pathology of it. I don't think they understand any of it. So Florida is one of the 23 states that does mandate HIV education in schools. Yeah, Florida. Go ahead, Florida. Right. Nice. Feel free to move to Florida, girl. You know people there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's warm. I don't have to vet <laughs> Girl, listen. <laughs> Well, we got to evacuate to New Orleans one day. Right. <laughs> it was like a slick But uh, I've been trying to move everybody to Florida, no lie. I'm like, oh, I want to be there by myself. Right. Um, but Memphis is too cold. And as we discussed, there's a lot of things that need to be done. But y'all can't all move out of Memphis because <laughs> there's work that has to be done. And that's where I am because as much as I could go back to, you know, New York where I lived or Atlanta to do this work and probably be really, really good at it. You know, it, it's always something because those things are a little more progressive when it comes to this. Memphis doesn't talk about it. And the last time I checked, it was like for every one white woman in Memphis that's diagnosed HIV and positive, there are 14.9 black women who are diagnosed. So it's like one to 14. Because at the time of my event back in September, it was like one for every 12.9. Now it's like one for every 14. And Memphis alone, which. Well, on paper, as I said, statistically, black women make up, or black people make 63% of the population. So if you think about one for every 14, that's a lot of black women, and there's nothing, there's no shaking of tables, there's, you know, my Kay Michelle voice, it's nothing that's being done to change the messaging. Um, I don't think we have an AIDS wall. You know how other cities have, like, the AIDS wall? Right. 
I don't even think we have an AIDS law in Memphis. And I've been researching to see how I can align myself to support those things to actually, you know, change the face and give people a real, almost comprehensive, like, no, I didn't get this from a needle. I didn't, I was not born with this. I got it from sex. And I'm not a friend, you know, I'm ashamed to say that, but, and I am all these things that you think that you can't get it if you are. Right. So, um, so there's there's a lot of gaps, there's a lot of disparities, and obviously one of the biggest things that you're doing, um, in, in addition to advocating, right, mm -hmm. first for yourself, right. um, because I remember there was one thing that you did that I really was like, y'all listen, like everybody listen to this, listen to what she said, you gotta ask questions, mm -hmm. you've got to say, do my whole pound. Right. And living in was like three, four different states, different cities, different areas have different different regulations for what they have to do as far as when it comes to a full panel. Memphis and Tennessee in the South, it's one of those things you want a full panel. Yes, I would like a full panel and testing for HIV and HSV. And I don't understand, especially here, why it's a it's that battle. There's right. always something to come back. And it's just like, oh, I didn't ask you for all that. You right. know? Well, insurance, man, I, I, I don't care. Right. Do it. Right. And it, it's just one of those things that you have to. You have to be proactive, especially as women, especially as black women. You have to take, like, the extra step to make sure that we advocate for ourselves when it comes to our sexual health. Right. Like, you have to ask for it. Right. Because it, it's like they don't even offer it. And this is RJ work, right? This is reproductive justice yes. work. Let's be very clear about that because RJ has been around for a while, but a lot of folks don't know about RJ and mm -hmm. a lot of black folks don't know about RJ mm -hmm. specifically because that messaging hasn't, again, been put across to us, mm -hmm. right? So Planned Parenthood is the place where white ladies go to get abortions. Yeah. And then some poor black ladies, but usually not poor black ladies. There's usually some other place that we go to, mm -hmm. right? The like the tries right. to convince us don't get one mm -hmm. and give the baby up for adoption because that's where you can go to get the free testing and the blah 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 blah. But the reality is, this is reproductive justice work because this has to do with health disparities when it comes to our reproductive system, exactly. And they're not so no compre no comprehensive sex education. Uh, you gotta beg people to give you a full panel of tests to make sure that everything is everything, or that if everything isn't everything, then this is what's going on. And then once you find out what's going on, where do we go from there? Because there's no protocol and how we're gonna talk about this. There's no resources being provided. So you're doing the advocate, you're doing the advocacy for yourself, mm -hmm. which is an example, y'all, of how to advocate for yourself. She's doing the work, and she's talking about doing the work. Pay attention so you know which questions to ask. And then you're doing the educating. Because now we've got to say, this is what it is. Right. And this is what it isn't. And let's talk about the intersection of being black. And we're not immune to these rights. So how do we address that? What do we need to be doing? I don't want to say read. I don't want to make women. It's like, um, it's almost as if... When people, when we have these type of conversations, when AHF may have something in your name. Because, like, they have, first of all, they have, like, the dopest events ever. Like, if you're ever somewhere and you see and, right, like, I just went to one in Atlanta, and I was just like, wait, are we? So, 
it's in our community, you know. Right. It's been in our community. Right. And so it might not be necessarily that way. Right. But it's here now. We're all like, nigga, here now. Right. <laughs> Girl, no, this is why I do the podcast because I couldn't say all these things on the FM radio. But I, and the reality is, he got it from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't get it from that quote-unquote risky behavior right. of male-on-male, DL, lifestyle, then chances are he got it from somebody who got it from somebody else mm-hmm. who may not even be aware because we're not having these conversations. Mm-hmm. So it would be, I don't, I don't know how you get black men because you have to unpack so much with that because they don't like to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. And they don't like to get tested. They don't like to go get physical. So you want to kind of have a conversation about sex, right? So I think that's something. Another piece, and then I also want black women to change the way they speak when it comes to sex, mm-hmm. or change the way they feel, or change the way how they interact. Like, oh, you won't have sex because you didn't bring a condom, or you're not gonna have sex. Oh, well that's fine. You didn't bring. Well, I got five. You want to choose from? You right. know, like take the power back. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, we didn't bring a condom. So, no, 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 no. I got a female, a Trojan, you know, this one. Right. Which right. one you want? Right. If this we don't do. Right. And be educated about how to, how to do that and how to use mm-hmm. that, right? So, um, I work for Girls Inc. and I work with the older girls. And one of the things that I had to do was the sex education part of the program. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so I got to teach them how to use condom. And okay. Like banana cucumber wood, and they were like, "Oh no, we have a whole model and everything." And there you go, and the wood stick, and you put it on the wood stick, and you show them how it stretches and reservoir at the tip. And so I found out all kinds of interesting things, like you can stick your whole hand inside a condom, just a regular ass condom, not a magnum, just a regular ass condom. Like that's what they're made for. That's the material that they're made out of, so that they're super protected. And everybody doesn't need a magnum. If you do this hula hooping in this condom, it's not the right fit. The fit is important because that's what keeps the germs on the inside of the condom where they're supposed to be. (laughs) But these are, but I mean seriously, these are conversations that we're supposed to have, and we're not having. Somewhere down the line, we stop having. Okay. And we need to have. Right. Because clearly. It's we're here, so um, so that's the piece, like the education piece, and I feel like we do need to educate our people. We need to educate adults, right? Like we need to have places that are safe for parents to, you know, like you should be having sex with your daughters and your son, your sons and your daughters. You know what right. I'm saying? It's like, oh, she just not no change the way you speak about this, right? And I think that's where you can, we can, in my mind, we can we can stop HIV. Right. Like it can stop. We can advocate Again. to the last one. Still got new crackheads. Like that's still a thing that's happening. Cause we not have. But but the reality is, is because we're not having these very real and necessary conversations. Right. right? And so you gotta yeah. do that part. Yeah. So that's. I mean, it seems simple, but it's like the simple things confound the wise. It's like okay, let's talk. Something someone's talking. Y'all want to talk? And that's why I say what I say, do what I do, as open as I am about it, because I feel as if if I if I influence or inform my sphere of influence, then those people can go to their spheres of influence. Right. And and I don't care if you're like, oh, that's Zeta who graduated from the University of Memphis. 
she HIV positive, please tell them that. Right. Get the whole story correct. Please tell it so you won't think, oh damn. So she grabs she she did she got right. What? Right. Let me check myself. Right. Because it has no respect to person, social, economic status, education, nothing. Alright, um, so tell the people where they can find your information. <laughs> um, it's Positively Dia um, on Facebook, Instagram is Positively underscore Dia, Twitter, and then um, the blog may be launched by the time you put this up, but hopefully launched by end of this month, and it's PositivelyDia.com, and just, you know, blogs, stories, videos, um, letters from my people like Micah who um, what I want to do is I want to include the inclusive story not so much about the person who may necessarily have been infected but also the tribe because so many things and so many times we don't give the perspective from the person who may be connected to that person because it, we are a tribe we are communal people and such this is how we this, this is how we get down right so we need to tell the whole story you know and so that's why I did and that's where you can find me Alright. And you're still running businesses. Girl. Yeah. Um <laughs> I'm still point where I'm trying to get back up because literally at the time you began diagnosed, it's like literally the wind got sucked out of my stomach. Okay. So we're doing better. So hopefully all that will be up and running again, maybe like the first, second quarter of twenty eighteen. Okay. To get that back on. Yeah. Okay. So we'll be um, keeping up with that because like world traveling, making sure that people have their products with the drop. So, right, their hair products with the drop right, and listen. luxurious travel for all your travel needs. Right. <laughs> so um, so this is the face. This is the face that is traveling and educating and advocating and your status is not, like, like your life is not determined by that status. Nah. Like, you made a choice. You've made a conscious decision about how you want to live. And mm-hmm. I think that that is the real testament here. Like, this is positively dear. It don't define you. This is what it looks like. Yes. This is what it looks like. Okay. So we've done a whole lot of heavy lifting. We've packed, unpacked a whole lot of stuff. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time to do that with me. Um, so now we're gonna get into a little bit of fun stuff. stuff. Okay. Yes, so we can leave in a in a good place. Because <laughs> you got to balance that thing on out. Right. Um, so let's see. Model. Girl, whatever. Whatever. Model. You got a comp card. <laughs>
Okay. <laughs> that, listen, all of the above. Right. That works. Yeah. Check off all those columns. Right. All your folks uh, have your back. Um, what do you collect? Ooh, it's gonna make me sound so... Okay. I collect alcohol. Like rubbing alcohol or drinking alcohol? Drink alcohol. I collect spirits and wines. Okay. So, this is what I do. Every time I go to um, another country, I get a bottle of something that's only made in that, in that country. country. So, um, and usually I'm the person coming back to customs like seven bottles. Because, like, you come to my house and it's like, it has taken over my whole counter. Because, like, wines, tequila, rum. I love tequila. Like, tequila and rum is beautiful. Like, it's a beautiful So, it's Sunday in Memphis and all the liquor stores are closed. I think I know where the rap party for this episode of the intersection is going to be. Nadia's house. Because I also love tequila and rum. Oh, my gosh. It's yes. so beautiful. So, um, tequila, rums, and wine. So basically, I'm the chick that's coming through. Like, with, I take an extra bag with me. Like, when I travel, I take, this is so sad. We got this on tape. I take the whole wrap and tape with me to wrap my bottles up when I come home. <laughs> that's what I collect. That's, that's the thing, y'all. I don't, first of all, I don't think any of my other friends are capable of collecting liquor because they be drinking the liquor. <laughs> like, that's the wrap. See, ain't no collecting. See, the thing about it is that that's why you buy multiple bottles. So okay. You collect the bottles. Got it. So, like, right, I collect the pretty <laughs> bottles. I got a whole lot of pretty empty See, bottles. There won't be any liquid. <laughs> I buy multiple, you know, so, like, it's like, oh, like, it's a, a rum I like from Jamaica. I buy, like, four bottles of it. I buy like four bottles every time I go because we got to replenish. And that's probably what fuels my travel is the alcohol. <laughs> Be right back. <laughs> got to go to Puerto Rico and pick up some rum. Be right back. Don't you know, worry about it. I got you. I've been in Jamaica twice in like the last, you know, two years. Yeah, every time I look up, I feel like you are out of the country every other month. It's so. okay. Go, to go get rum and sip people <laughs> 2018 goals, Sam. Put it on the list. 2018, we traveling with Dia. <laughs> we take international liquor runs. <laughs> that's that's 2018. 2018. International liquor 20, runs. 2018, international liquor runs. Wow. I feel like you should somehow work that into a messaging for marketing. For, yes, your marketing. I like it. <laughs> Those international liquor runs. International right. Person. Come with me. On international liquor runs because you need that in your life. That's not a bad collection to have. That's not a bad collection okay. to have. So, what would people be surprised to find out? Sure, they're probably surprised that my that you go on international liquor runs. I think I, that <laughs> question answered itself, didn't it? <laughs> I don't know if anybody would be that. I actually have a sense of humor um, because I know I've been told that I'm like really stern, and I guess my statue and you know, I guess my demeanor comes across stern. I just don't like fake people, so if I can just stop you with yeah. like, mm -mm. if you don't right. like me, oh, I intimidate you, great. We're not supposed right. to be friends in the first place. But I actually do have a sense of humor, and if I laugh with you, and if I kiki with you, or like, you know, get you know funny with you, that's because I'm comfortable. So if you've never seen my sense of humor, then I ain't comfortable. Say less. <laughs> do more. <laughs> that part. Um, who and what inspires you? I wouldn't say myself, but it's just like, 
outside of myself, who inspires me? I hate to be like, oh, the ancestors, but I'm just one of those persons. Like, I've been pro-black since I was, like, a child. And, like, people want to be like, do you always been pro-black? And <laughs> always. And I think about, like, my grandmother who, like, purchased a home cash here in Memphis, you know. I'll, you know, when I think about, you know, my mom left Memphis and came back right after, you know, King was assassinated. You know, you left California to come back, to, you know, to this. Right. Like, and to see the perseverance, like, black women inspire me. Like, people like you and, like, just not so much, like, yeah. people, like, on a high, but, like, people who are, like, on the, like, I can touch and feel like y'all inspire me because it's just, like, we are all we got. Yeah. And I'm of that person that we're connected to each other, then some type of way my destiny and what I'm supposed to be doing is tied to you. Yeah. So let me get on my shit. Let me get on mine so you ain't got to, you know what I'm saying, struggle. So I need you to get to where you need to go because whatever is tied to you right. that's connected is going in. Can you please go? You know, I feel that. I've said that from the beginning. I was like, you are, like, you're such an inspiration to me. You're like, me? I'm just, I'm just a regular devil smeggle girl from South Memphis. Right. And so much more. And so much more. So, um, I am, I, I feel you on that. I definitely feel like, um, us, like, we are all so tied together. Right. Like, we have such a common history. And I don't think that. I still don't think people get the full gravity of black girl magic, like mm -hmm. how this works, how we're able to support each other, how we're able to lift each other up, um, no matter where we find ourselves in life, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what our diagnosis are, no matter what, um, again, back to those intersections, mm -hmm. if you're at the intersection of physical health and mental health and being black and being a woman, and then you have to find some metal in there. and a lot of times you're the strong one, and then I'm the strong one, mm -hmm. and then she's the strong one, and she's the strong one, and we just all have to collectively lean in to get some of these things done. Right. So I definitely hear you on that. So 90% of the time, what's on your feed? What are you looking at? What are you watching? What are you sharing? What's, girl, what's on my feed? Instagram is random stuff. Like, if you check my Instagram, I'm probably following the most ratchet, most like, like oh, the oh, I'm like, oh, that picture you posted with you and Nick the other day. Right, I'm like, that's oh, me. Like, I'm like the most, I'm kind of, I'm like, it's ratchet stuff on Instagram. It ain't nothing, you know, really uplifting. You know, I love Bishop Jakes. I love, you know, certain people. I love Ayanna. But I ain't following them on Instagram. Right. I'm following, what's that, I am Zoe and Ew. I'm following Cardi. I'm trying to see what she's saying. Right. Like, I'm so, that's on my Instagram feed. Like, just random. Random, just random. Listen, um, balance, y'all. <laughs> it balance. is like reading a book and twerk, you know. It's just like make the pages clap, make the pages clap. Right, so you got to be there. So that's on Instagram, Facebook is probably something cooking. You know, I always save and post about cooking food because I'm fat. Um, and probably makeup. I'm perfect. <laughs> right, it's like makeup, food, and something inspirational or business related on right. Facebook and Twitter is. More black Twitter. I, I live for a good read. It's like so black Twitter. Black Twitter. Yeah. So that's what's on Twitter because you know though they're all separate, so they have very interesting feelings. Yeah. Like I don't follow. I ain't following these stars. What the ratchet stuff? That what stuff is gonna make me laugh? <laughs> what's the stuff like? Hey, that's yes. the stuff. Yeah, that's what I live for. 
she's probably out here sharing like like healthy food tips and like inspiration. That's all possible ideas. And then you go to the page and you see you and Nick doing this. And then you read the caption and you're like, is that eggplants in the caption? Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, I live. It's ratchet. I it's live. Like, it's a beautiful thing. What was the thing that you said? Find you somewhere between. Oh, you can find it between righteous, righteous and ratchet. Between goon and glitter. That's where <laughs> you I. You know, that's my favorite one. Find me between goon and glitter. glitter, ratchet and righteous. That's me. True. This is the righteous hashtag righteously ratchet. Righteously ratchet. Uh, Ryan, you here? Put it on a t-shirt. Oh, put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> that's it. So. So y'all know I live for t-shirts. Um, obviously, I've got on my Speak Out t-shirt. Uh, Dia has on her Positively Dia t-shirt, which I'm sure, I'm sure that this would be merch that we can. Yeah. Do y'all want to, I think my logo is really, really dope, but I was just like, you know, well, people want to buy my t-shirt. I need a Positively Dia okay. t-shirt. I would definitely sport it. Um, I'm all about support right. and we tangible support. So yeah, um, so now, <laughs> We're gonna put it on a t-shirt. Y'all gonna buy these t-shirts. Okay. Uh, so uh right now you have on one Adidas. Oh my shell top. Yeah, my shell toe. Uh -huh. And one walking fancy boot. walking boot. Yeah. <laughs> um so what? uh Chucks. Classic oh, yeah. Chuck Taylors. Yeah, satin, suede, white, black, none of that high top stuff. Mm -mm. Just classic, yeah, classic to For the win. Yeah, for, for the win. win. Um, team Android, team iPhone. Don't give me no Android. Ugh. I'm team iPhone all, team Mac all the way. iPad, MacBook, and I got about three iPhones. So um, <laughs> that situation, y'all can do all y'all want to. Team iPhone. If you got green, I'm probably hesitant to text you back. <laughs> She called green, and I'd be like, uh-uh, wear that blue, uh-uh. Apple is a beautiful thing, especially when they get to talking to each other, and they sync the back back with the iPad, with the iPhone. That's beautiful. She's such a wonderful person. <laughs> Positive and inspiring. I look up to her. But she's team my phone. That's, that's going to be the one thing, ain't it? That's going to be the one thing. I ain't going to touch your phone, man. I mean, I hate to like money, but I mean, like, I like money a lot. And I hope, 
sorry but not sorry um i feel like we gonna have to do this again and just have a whole money conversation because black folks do not like talking about money i've been dealing with my money story for like this whole year and like just you know trying to get out of the poverty mindset right. and i didn't grow up in a poverty mindset mm -hmm. but i developed these attitudes about money you know people who had money being greedy because of the things that i saw within my own family mm -hmm. and so folks are really surprised to find out like that i didn't grow up in abject poverty and i'm like no i chose to be poor later in life i, I was poor i know the struggle i like i mean i like money and nice things i mean if you want to get like real basic i love designer bags again and uh, sunglasses and uh, i indulge yeah so um that would be like a vice outside of international liquor. Outside of international, but you gotta have money to go on international liquor runs. Um, and for 2018, you gonna show us how to do it? Cause I'm ready. Like, there's a time I would have definitely been intimidated. Like, oh, I can't afford that. I'm a firm believer in you can live the life that you wanna live. Mm -hmm. It's about making conscious choices, and it's definitely about what your mindset is. So. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you, you once again for coming and talking to me. This is wonderful. And we will make sure to post all of your links. We will make sure to share everything. Um, and I am super looking forward to the website launch. So thank keep you, us posted. Thank you. I shall. Thank y'all. Shit straight, test us, then we test you too.